Let's read together the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're turning to page 1053. If you're using the Church Bible, Uh, Luke uh, chapter 19. If you're using your own Bible, page 1053, Luke chapter 19. By this stage in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Lord Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. Uh, He's been moving steadily towards Jerusalem from chapter 9. And he knows that in going to Jerusalem, he is going to die. He's now on the edge of Jerusalem in many respects as he uh, comes into the city of Jericho. uh, And uh, later in chapter 19, uh, he will arrive in the city. So we read here uh, of um, a further uh, encounter uh, and a further conversion uh, that takes place as the Lord Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem to offer himself on the cross as the saviour of the world. Luke 19 verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Amen. We're going to sing from Psalm. Saying the right thing is not always easy to do. Especially when you are under fire from others uh, or when you are under the spotlight. And sometimes the statement that is made by someone in those circumstances remains with us for the rest of our lives. Those of you who are adults here this evening will remember the Enniskillen bombing of 1987 when Gordon Wilson spoke about his daughter, a nurse, lying in the rubble with him and squeezing his hand and saying, 
I love you, darling. The last words that she spoke before she drew her last breath. And of course, on hearing of that, the media all landed on his doorstep and wanted to hear what he thought of those who had done this and how he responded to them. And we remember his words, don't we? But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. A man who said the right thing uh, in particularly painful and difficult and harrowing circumstances. And his words had a powerful impact. Uh, one reporter on the BBC uh, later said that it shook the IRA to its core. This evening we want to think about some words that the Lord Jesus spoke when he was under fire. Under pressure from the scribes and the Pharisees. The religious top brass of the day. Who thought they knew God and thought that they were on their way to heaven and that this Jesus was of the devil because he ate with tax collectors and he had time for sinners. The people that the scribes and Pharisees would have kept well away from lest somehow they became tainted by association because of their sin. And sadly, the Christian church today can be like the scribes and the Pharisees. We keep far away from the tax collectors and the sinners. Lest somehow people would point the finger at us and accuse us of being those who eat and who spend time with tax collectors and sinners. We are in good company when we spend time with sinners. Because Christ himself did that. And when he was being criticised for doing that, as happened in this chapter, Luke 19 verse 7, all the people saw this. They saw him stop. They heard him speak to Zacchaeus up the tree. They saw him go to the house of this collaborator with the Roman Empire. This enemy of the Jewish religion and the Jewish state. And they said of Jesus, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Jesus, the very end of the incident, made a comment that he didn't need to make, but he was right to make. It added nothing to Zacchaeus' salvation. But it did say something about Jesus and about his mission and about his message. And today we've been thinking about our mission and our message. And tonight, in a sense, we're thinking about Jesus, his mission and his message. And so what did he say? 
He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Jesus says, yes, indeed I have. But the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's the very purpose for which I have come. And there is a very real sense in which a major aspect of the purpose of the church today is to be like Christ. To come into a community. And we have come into this community for what purpose? Not to condemn people. Not to keep ourselves at a distance. But like our Saviour. To seek uh, and to save. Not that we can save, but to point to the Saviour. That which is lost. Let's look at this instant tonight. Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. Under uh, three headings this evening. First of all, the title Jesus uses here. The Son of Man. It's a title. We're all familiar with titles. Uh, You complete a government form. Or you go on the internet and you're signing up um, to buy something. And you've got to complete uh, details of your banking account or your credit card. And you're asked how you want to be known and addressed. Mr. Mrs. Reverend, Doctor, Sir, um, Ms, uh, to name but a few titles available to us today. And in this verse, Jesus uses a title for himself. And he describes himself as the Son of Man. It's a title with which we are not familiar. We don't know anyone today He's called Son of Man. And so we need to ask, what does it mean? For this title certainly had significance when Jesus used it. And it meant something to these Jewish people who heard it. These people that were steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. If you choose the title Mrs. today, you're making a significant statement about yourself. You're a woman, and that you are presently married, or you have been married. So what is Jesus saying to the crowd when he uses this title, Son of Man? Well, many people reading that today immediately uh, jump to the conclusion that he's emphasizing his humanity. I am a man. I am a real human being, just like you are. Now, that is true. That is true. But that is not what the title, this title, means. It's not what it means. It isn't referring to his humanity. In fact, it's referring to his deity. It's not emphasizing that he is man. It is emphasizing that he is God. 
Now, why can we say that? Does that not go against the logic of the words? Well, it does go against the logic of the words, but not the theology of Scripture. Because when we go back into Daniel chapter 7, and uh, if you're wanting to read around this further, go home tonight or tomorrow, uh, and, um, well, do go home tonight, not tomorrow, go home tonight, and uh, go home and either tonight or tomorrow, uh, read uh, Daniel chapter 7. And there it speaks of one like the Son of Man. In other words, it's one who appears to be a man, but he's actually more than a man. He is God. And in Daniel chapter 7, this human divine person, this man God, this God-man, enjoys access to God that is unhindered, that is unrestricted, that is unlimited. If we can put it like this reverently, the door is always open. He can approach God with ease, with confidence, with assurance. He can approach God without fear of rejection. And so when Jesus now in the presence of Jews who knew Daniel chapter 7, when he says, the Son of Man, he is claiming to be the person of Daniel 7. To be the one who enjoys that access to God that is unhindered. He claims to have authority. He claims to have glory. He claims to have sovereign power in himself. And so Jesus is declaring his deity. The Son of Man came. God came, in other words. I came from God and I am God to seek and to save that which is lost. If you or I wanted access to someone important or powerful in our world, the Queen or someone like that, it would not be easy to, to achieve. There would have to be lengthy correspondence, no doubt. Much negotiation. We would have to be vetted and checked out. And then we'd have to be accompanied uh, into the presence uh, of the Queen if we were uh, ever to get there. We might get one meeting in a lifetime. But if you were the son of the Queen of England, a Charles, or the daughter of the Queen of England, and I, would you have to wait? Would you have to make an appointment? Would you have to negotiate? Would you have to be vetted? Would you have to um, enter into a lengthy correspondence? Of course you wouldn't. Because you'd be a son of the sovereign. And so you would have instant, constant, easy, unfettered access. And so it is with Jesus. He's the Son of Man. He is God. 
the second person in the triune God of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And there's been an eternal fellowship and union between these three. And so the Son always has instant, immediate, unrestricted access to the Father. What a glorious thing that is. The one who saved you tonight if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer tonight, here is the one who wants to save you and who is calling you to himself. He's saying, I am the one who brings men and women into the immediate presence of God through myself because I have unhindered, unrestricted access into the presence of God. Of course, in Daniel chapter 7, the whole picture there is of the Son of Man coming back from the earth and coming back having accomplished his mission of salvation. And so now tonight, it's not that the Son of Man comes, it's that the Son of Man is continually and eternally in the presence of his Father. And he's living there to pray for you and for me. And he's living there and he's watching over you and me. And he's living there and he understands you and he understands me. Why? Because now he is more than God. He is God and man. He is our human nature. He's our human body. He's a human soul. And so he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He's able to help us in our need. Non-Christian here tonight, do you see the beauty of Jesus? Do you see the loveliness of the Savior? Do you see the desirability of him? Do you see one who will do all of these things and be all of these things to you, the title Jesus uses, the Son of Man, summing up his deity and his presence in heaven with his Father and his people with him. Secondly, let's notice the task Jesus performs. The task Jesus performs. What has the Son of Man come to do? Why did the second person in the Godhead leave heaven and come to earth? It's most important that a person knows their task or knows their function in life. Imagine going into work tomorrow morning not knowing what you are to do while you're there. Imagine you're a cleaner, not knowing where or what you are to clean. Or you're a teacher, not knowing uh, which class you're to teach and what subject you're supposed to be teaching them. 
To be somewhere and not know what our task is, is very frustrating and unrewarding. So what does Jesus, the Son of Man, come to do? Does he know what he's about on the earth? Yes. Just as Isaiah was clear about the mission of the church in Isaiah 40, to be a herald. Jesus is clear as to his mission. Yes, he is a herald too, but he is so much more than a herald. He himself is the saviour. He himself is the priest and the sacrifice for sin. Notice what he says, the son of man has come. That's a tense describing a one-off event. He has come once and once only to do what? To seek and to save that which has been lost. It tells us not only about him, doesn't it? It also tells us about us. Lost. Lost. As Paul put it, without God. Without hope in this world. Lost. To be lost is to be separated from someone that we should be in relationship with. And so when, uh, when Jesus says here, he has come to seek and to save the lost. He's saying, men and women like you and me and like our neighbours and our friends, they're separated from God. But man was meant to be in union and communion with God. To know God. To be in the presence of God. To be enjoying the company and the blessing of God. But man has lost that. He's lost in his sin. And so Jesus has come to do something once during his time on earth. He's not going to come every hundred years or every ten years or every thousand years to do this again and again. No, it's once. What is he going to do once? To seek and to save. To seek, to look out for, to draw to himself, and then to save. He's going to die. He's going to offer himself up as the sacrifice for sin. And he's going to bring us to God and he's going to reconcile sinners to God and he did that at Calvary went to the cross and there what did he do he offered up his perfect sinless life he was not lost no even though he was in this earth and geographically, uh, if we want to put it like that, was distant from God. Yet, in spirit and in being, he was always in the presence of his Father. Because he had no sin. 
and he committed no sin. And so having no sin and having committed no sin, his was a righteous life. And he laid down that righteous life for sinners, for lost people like you, like me. And on the cross, he lays out his righteousness so that you and I, by faith, might have it and put it on like we put on our clothes. That our sin and our nakedness before God is covered. And on the cross, he took our sin, that filthy rag, off us. And put it on himself. And the father smote him. For that. The father poured out his wrath upon him. So that the, the penalty and the punishment. The righteous wrath. The righteous punishment. For sin was exhausted in him. That's the glory. Of Jesus. The son of man. Seeking and saving the lost. That's the task he performs. Are you here tonight? And you don't actually know that in your heart? Yes, perhaps you from childhood you've known it in your head, growing up in a Christian home. Or perhaps in recent months or years you've come into contact with Christians and the church and you know it now from having spoken to them and having read the Bible. You know in your head now that you are lost but you need to know it in your heart. You need to be able to say with John Newton. I was lost. But now I am found. With the prodigal son. I was lost. But now I am found. I was dead in my sin. But now I am alive in Christ. Because he has sought me. Not only in his life and death. But he has come to me now in my life, when I am 10 years of age, 20 years of age, 40 years of age. And he has addressed me personally. And he's calling me. And he's saying, believe in me. Confess me. Forsake your sin and follow me. You see that's Jesus seeking and saving the lost now. Because while his sacrifice was finished then. The very moment he died. Its application continues right through the ages. And through the earth as we've been reminded today. In the lives of individual men and women. The task Jesus performs to seek and to save the lost 
because of the title Jesus has, the person he is, the Son of Man, the Son of God. But then let's notice thirdly and finally this evening, the transformation Jesus brings or causes. The transformation Jesus brings. We've been talking thus far up to this point in the abstract, haven't we? I've been explaining to you, as it were, the theology of salvation, the doctrine of salvation. But here now we come, as we look at verses 1 to 9 briefly, to see a living example of that in the life of Zacchaeus. He's, as it were, a kind of case study. It's a bit like uh, when you're being trained um, in, in college. We've got two terms in the classroom and then just as Joel has gone off to Kilrats uh, this week, uh, we went out into the congregation and you got hands-on and you got some practical examples and experience. Well, that's what's happening here with a practical example of the gospel and this salvation being applied powerfully and effectively uh, to a human life. What do we know about this man? Well, look at verse 2. He was a chief tax collector. Oh, those tax collectors. Those people that we shouldn't have anything to do with. That are on the edge of society. Uh, those people that work for Rome. Those people that are betrayers of the cause and of our religion and of our country. Tax collector. But he's a chief tax collector. He's over other tax collectors. He's very rich, we're told. And of course, Rome, who's his employer, the Roman Empire, they don't care what percentage of tax Zacchaeus and his colleagues impose on the people. As long as Rome gets the inland revenue that she demands. So if Rome sets the inland revenue at 10%, she doesn't care if the tax collectors take 20% or 25%. And so Zacchaeus, before Jesus meets him, he's one of those men that is greedy and selfish and dishonest and materialistic and he's lonely and a hated man, despised, he's a sinner. In Jesus' words, he's lost. And of course, many of those words describe us. Greedy, selfish, materialistic, and many other things by nature. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22 describes human nature. And Jesus observes this man's a case while he's up a tree, watching him pass by. And let me just say in passing, don't allow circumstances to hinder you from coming to Christ. This man's circumstances where he was a small man, large crowd, and he found a way around it. You're not a Christian tonight. There's some circumstance that you say, well, that's holding me back. Find a way around it. 
And so Jesus stops directly below the street. And he addresses Zacchaeus. And he invites himself to the home of Zacchaeus. And the people are aghast. They are horrified. They are scandalized at the thought that Jesus, this one who says he is from God, that he would have dealings with someone who by their standards is beyond the pale, the greatest, one of the greatest sinners ever to live. And you see, Jesus was and is truly the friend of sinners. If you think tonight as a non-Christian, I'm beyond the pale. Too sinful, too rotten, too bad. Jesus says, no. I came to seek and to save sinners like you. He's not afraid to draw alongside you. To speak to you. To confront you. To challenge you. To call you. And to change you. And all the eyes uh, are on Jesus here. But you see, Jesus sees them all as lost. The Jewish leaders are as much lost as this man. And he presents himself to them as a saviour. He invites them to come. And look at the great change that takes place. Zacchaeus jumps at the opportunity. He doesn't say, well, Jesus, I'll leave it to another day. I'm sure, Jesus, you'll be coming past this way again. There'll, there'll be another time. The truth is, Jesus is not going to come past this way again. The last time, he'll be going from Jericho. Uh, going through and making this journey. And so Zacchaeus, he jumps at the opportunity and he comes down the tree and he goes to his home and he takes Jesus with him. And then look at what happens. The great transformation that takes place. As this man repents, as this man believes um, in Jesus. By the end of the time he's saying, in effect to Jesus, you are in control of my life from now on. Not money, not greed, not selfishness, not dishonesty. And he said, I'm going to prove that. I want, I, would, or I want to show the reality of that. We have a better way of paying it. And I'm going to pay fourfold. That's the Old Testament requirement. I'm going to fulfill heartily and gladly what the law of God requires. To those from whom I have stolen. And in response, Jesus assures him. Today's salvation has come this house use a case you're now in unbroken unlimited unrestricted fellowship with and access to God Jesus is saying in effect Zacchaeus through me you have with God what I have had from all eternity Salvation has come. And tonight the Lord Jesus presents himself to you and to me. And he brings before you 
your sins that separate you from God. And he invites you to come to him. To own your sin. And to believe in him. For forgiveness. Will you come to him. Non-Christian. Tonight. Will you listen to him. As Zacchaeus did. Will you receive him. Will you rush to be with him. Will you obey him. Will you allow him to transform your life so that his word guides your attitudes and actions? Because notice that is the evidence that this man has been saved. The fact that he wanted to follow the word of Christ. The title Jesus uses Son of Man. The task Jesus performs, seeking and saving the lost. The transformation Jesus causes. And those of us who are believers tonight, that transformation has got to be ongoing tomorrow, next day, the day after that, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.